We are going to look at the final uh, saying of our Lord from the cross. Uh, we've covered six. We're on the seventh. And this, uh, this saying is only covered in the book of Luke. And this is uh, the final words just seconds probably before the Lord, uh, before the Lord died. And it is, uh, I believe, I thought, to be honest, when I started to study these things, I thought the two most difficult uh, sayings to study and the, the teachings of which would be the most difficult to kind of get at would be the one where he talks about his mother, and then the second one would be this one. But as it turns out, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things associated with this saying. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 23 is where, where it is found. And in verse 40. Uh, verse 46, the Bible says this, Luke 23, verse 46, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, <clears throat> Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Now, um, let's pray and then we'll, we'll get into, uh, we'll get into our, our lesson here this morning. Father, we acknowledge uh, in your presence that we have no ability, Lord. We just we need you. We stand in need to uh, to be able to uh, understand and rightly discern the Scripture and know the right meaning, and to uh, but especially as it relates to you stirring in us, Lord. We depend wholly upon you. We ask you to move among us and to speak to us and teach us by your Spirit. Thank you for the presence of your Spirit. Thank you that you've called us children of God. As we look into these things, guide us as we study, we ask. I pray that the words of our Lord Jesus Christ would become ever more precious to us, especially these seven uh, words that you spoke from the cross. And thank you for everyone that's here and those that are on the way. Thank you for their faithfulness and desire to be here. I pray, Father, that you would fill each person's cup and that you would, uh, that you would help them to go away this morning from church uh, refreshed and uh, and uh, joyful at what they've seen and heard uh, among your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke 23, 46 says, The Lord's final saying is, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And <clears throat> notice in the beginning of verse 46, though, the Bible says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice. Anybody want to venture as to what Jesus cried with a loud voice? Because in the text, it's not the words that we're studying today that he cried with a loud voice, but a different, uh, a different statement. Anybody want to guess as to which statement he cried with a loud voice? It is finished. Correct. It is finished. That's correct. It is, it is finished. Uh, and it's interesting to me that he cried that it is finished, and the other, the other statements, especially that statement is, uh, God tells us that he cried with a loud voice. Of all the statements, that was the one, and of course that was the one that most directly dealt with salvation. It's almost like the Lord's just screaming at us, I've done it, I've done it. <laughs> uh, and apparently... People, it still falls on deaf ears no matter how loud he says it because there's people that have built religions on something contrary to that. So, um, 
So we go into this, uh, this phrase, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. My voice is not cooperating. And uh, it is worthy to note that this is, as far as we can tell, and I think it's perfectly clear, this is the final statement of our Lord's earthly life. This is it. This is the last thing He says. But what is interesting about this statement is that the content of, what, of His statement. So in the Lord's final statement, He is praying to the Father. And we talked about that last week, which is the idea that his whole existence, as far as on earth, his entire purpose and mission dealt with obeying and doing the will of the Father. So the final statement, it is fitting then that the final statement that he makes deals with his relationship to the Father, as, especially as we see it as an example to us. But did you know that the first statement that's recorded in Scripture, that the Lord spoke when he was 12 years old, also dealt with his relationship to the Father. Anybody know what that is off the top of your head? Can anybody quote it in King James Version? Correct. Know ye not that I must be about my Father's business? And uh, so what you have is the bookends of the Lord's life. You have the first recorded statement of the Lord and the final recorded statement of the Lord dealt with his relationship to his Father. And that key word father is going to be important in a minute, but that's, uh, is it, I mean, is it not fitting, you know, from the time if we, if we count, if we just discount the time that we, uh, that we did not know the Lord, you know, because a lot of us or a number of us got saved later, maybe some of us, some of you got saved when we were younger and some a little bit later, but if you discount the time before you knew the Lord, should not our lives as Christians be, be bookended by I started with the Lord, and I'll end with the Lord. And everything in between is about doing His will and following his, what, what He wants us to do. And, and listen, I, I was, you know, of course, Anna had a car accident yesterday. Uh, some of you know that. And she was, she was okay. Everybody was okay, uh, except the car. Um, so, but she said, well, it was a blessing to me because she said that <clears throat> as soon as it happened and the car came to rest and, and, and you know, she was cognizant of what had happened, the, she was telling us the thoughts that flew through her mind. She probably won't mind me saying this. Um, the thoughts that flew through her mind, one of which was, the Lord protected me. Just like, flew through there. But see, that's, that's, the way, that's the way I think the Lord puts those things in our mind sometimes, right? And even though we're not thinking about the Lord, and all of a sudden there's this bolt of a thought that comes through our mind that, where He's reminding us of Himself by His Spirit who's in us, right? And that thought, puts our mind on Him. And that's kind of the idea that I see here. The Lord was thinking about His Father when He was 12, and the Lord was thinking about His Father the moment before He, he, he uh, went into, or uh, I was going to say went into eternity, but, you know, that's kind of a, kind of a, a moot point, uh, before He died. So let that, be our, let that be our life. Our life begins and ends with God, and everything in between is about God. The, the challenge for us, though, is to consciously think about Him, right? And to intentionally, you know, that word is so overused these days, right? Intentional, live intentionally. But there is an aspect of truth, which is we should be thinking about the Lord and what He wants us to do and what He has done and, and conscious of His presence and His, His will and His uh, goodness to us at all times. So this is actually a quotation 
Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit is actually a quotation from Psalm number 31, verse 5. Psalm 31, verse 5. Can someone turn to Psalm 31, verse 5, sword drill, so that you can read it? Psalm 31, verse 5. And that'll begin kind of where we want to go. Ms. Myers, did you, you raise your hand? Is that King James? Okay, good, good. You can read it. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, thou hast to redeem me, O Lord God of truth. All right? What? Now, that's obviously a quotation. The only difference is in our text it says command and that says commit, but it's the same meaning. So what is left out from that statement compared to Luke 23, 46? What one word is left out in Psalm 31, 5 that is found in Luke? Say again. No. Father, Father. It's interesting, the Lord is obviously pulling that. <clears throat> I, don't know, I don't know exactly if this is a, Psalm 31 is a prophecy of the Lord or if it's the Lord just kind of lifts the language out because that, he, you know, he was that familiar, like we should be familiar with the Bible. If you ever read Charles Spurgeon, it's, it's almost hard to read because he uses so many biblical phrases that it's, you know, it's constantly alluding to Bible te- the text of the Bible in different ways, even if it has nothing to do with what he's saying. But here, I don't know if it's a prophecy or if the Lord just lifts the, the language of, of Psalm 31.5 out, but either way, it's obviously the same words, okay? But he adds the word Father. He adds the word Father, which reminds us and brings brings into, into our, our, our vision and our memory the, the relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ had with the Father. In other words, he, by injecting that word, he has is, he is alluded to that special relationship. Now, I'm going to say something, and I want to show it to you later, but he's alluding to that special relationship that he had with the Father that the psalmist did not have. With the Father. And you see it because he says in the, the rest of the verse in Psalm 30, 31 5, he doesn't refer to the Father. He refers to being redeemed by the Lord, which is the covenant name of God. All right? Now, if you would turn to uh, John chapter 17, I want to point something out to you. John 17. John 17, verse number 1. This is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the high priestly prayer, but this is the prayer whereby the, where, in which the Lord prays for His disciples. And in verse 1, the Bible says this, These, thing, uh, these words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, the reason I wanted to read this is this is is representative. This is an example of the kind of prayer that the Lord Jesus offered to the Father on a regular basis. Now, did you know there is no place in which, in the New Testament, in which... A prayer of Jesus, 
in, in which the Lord prays <clears throat> and he addresses God as God. Do you know that? I looked through every reference of God in the, New, in, the, in the Gospels. There is no example, there is no time at which, in which the Lord Jesus Christ prays to the Father but addresses Him as God, like, oh God, like you read in the Psalms and such, except one. Except one. Anybody know what? One. Correct. There's only one instance. Every time. The Lord prays, this is recorded in the scripture. And even when he gives, gives people instruction on praying, like in, the, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and this is the way you should pray, our Father, which art in heaven. Every time the Lord prays, it's like in, uh, it's like in John 17, verse 1. He prays upon the basis of his relationship to the Father as the Father, as the Son. He prays with that relationship in mind. There's only one exception, and that is where he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that's a significant point. It's a significant point. Because in that moment, as the Lord was upon the cross, and the darkness had fallen, and, and <clears throat> the Lord at that moment was, the, the sin of the world was laid upon him, and he was enduring the just wrath of God against sin. He was dying as the sinner. He was dying in the sinner's place. In that, in that moment, I, I don't want to make a big theological uh, uh, assertion here, but all I'm saying is that at that moment, the Lord was dying as the sinner, as the one who was alienated from God, like we studied several weeks ago. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken. He was alienated from God. He was alienated from the Father because of the sin that was laid upon him. He was dying as our substitute. Did you know that sinners are not? Sinners, sinners all the time, we, they talk about the Father this, the Father that. But sinners have not that relationship with God. And Jesus was dying as the sinner. Now, the one relationship that sinners do have, and I say sinner, I, I, sometimes that, that terminology kind of annoys me because I'm a sinner too, but, but people that do not know God, people that are unbelievers, the relationship they had with God is not a father and a son relationship. It is a creator-creation relationship. And that's the way the Lord addressed God when he was in that darkness, when he was bearing the sin of the world, when he was forsaken. He didn't say, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? No, as far as that's concerned, that, he was alienated from the father because of sin as the sinner's substitute. And so he cried as the creature. He cried as the creation to the creator. And that's exactly, in fact, that's exactly what people that come to God, that's what, what I did when I came to God as a sinner in need of salvation. I came to God not as, not as Father, will you do this for me? No, no, but God, you made me, but I am alienated. I need your forgiveness. But I had no relationship to God on that day when I got saved I had no relationship to God as a son of God. I was not a son of God. I was a creature of God. I had been created by God, and I was alienated from God because of sin. And that's the way that the Lord, when we see him crying out. Now, the reason I point this out is because, is that in our statement, the seventh statement, the seventh statement, he says, Father. Now, in the fifth statement, now, we know the sixth is, it is finished, but the fifth statement is, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? So there's a change. 
Father, forgive them. Notice the term, Father. And then you, he deals with his mother, and he deals with, uh, I'm going to forget the seven statements. But anyway, he prays to his father beforehand, the darkness falls, and then he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then you get to the seventh statement, and it's back to the father. Because, remember, and between the two is the phrase, it is finished. Because it was done. He had suffered for sin. It was over. He said, it is finished. And then he resumes that, that communication with God. That period where he was alienated, he cried out, it is, uh, he cried out, uh, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That had passed. He said, it is finished. And then he says, Father, again, in our, in our text here. Can somebody, uh, uh, can somebody get Luke chapter 18 for me? Luke chapter 18 and verse, Brother Dennis, can you read verse 13? Luke 18, verse 13. This is a very familiar passage. Very familiar passage. But listen to the prayer carefully. Listen to the prayer carefully. Luke 18, verse 13. What is his prayer? His prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Did he say, Father? How did he address God? As a, he addressed God as a creation. In other words, he had no relationship to God as father, son. They're all laughing because you accidentally said politician, but everybody's like, it fits. <laughs> That's what you're all thinking, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know you normally work. I, I wouldn't have called if I thought you'd have a hard time reading it. Sorry. But <laughs> everybody's like, well, the shoe fits where it, whatever. Which actually, the Republican has probably had a similar reputation. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> y'all are distracting me from the lesson. Okay, but this publican who is a sinner, he's recognized as a sinner, but he does not come to God saying, Father, this. No, he has no relationship such as that. He has the relationship as a creature that God has made who is alienated from him, who is sinful, and so he cries out to God on that basis. And that's what... This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, this, this uh, publican's prayer. The, the Lord raises, this is the, the uh, parable of the publican and the sinner. And the Lord raised this as an example. These are the Lord's words. Now, for himself, he always prayed, Father. When he's instructing his disciples to pray, he says, pray our Father. But when he gives an example of a publican, he says, pray, the publican prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So in our seventh saying, we go from, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. And then he resumes that relationship, those words that remind of his relationship as the Father. That's how, one way we know that the suffering has passed. All that's left is his actual death. A relationship, <clears throat> but I, what I want to move to now is I want to show you something about this, this terminology. Listen, the word, of, the word of God is not, is not just randomly that it's like that, that sometimes he says, Father, sometimes he does. It's not, it's not an accident that the Lord never uh, addresses God as God in his prayer. It's 
It's not an accident. Uh, the, the, word, the Word of God is, is significant in that way, and, and it's written as it's written on purpose. So what we find here, and I want to show you some of these things, that this, this relationship, I know in our current vernacular, when we come to church, we talk about, we pray, and we say, Father this, and a lot of us will pray like that. And some of us say, Oh God, and some of us say, Father, would you do this? And Father, we ask you to do that. And that's right and proper. That's right and proper. But, Here's what, I want, here's what I want to explain. In the Old Testament Scripture, as a matter of theology, as a matter of doctrine, they did not have, the Old Testament saints did not have the relationship to God that we enjoy. Like that Jesus is referring to, because of course, we know the Lord referred to His Father as Father in His prayer, and He instructed His disciples to refer to the Father as Father. But that's not something you find in the Old Testament. It's, the language is different. Oftentimes, it's always, the prayer is often, oh God, or oh God refers to the creature relationship because God is the creator. But then oftentimes you find, just like in the psalm that, that Ms. Myers read, sometimes they'll say, oh Lord, with those all caps, capital L-O-R-D, referring to Jehovah, which is the covenant name of God with his people. And that's a relationship that, you could, that they, they could have because they were Israel. But the relationship uh, that we enjoy and we call God our Father is something that's special and unique to our dispensation. If, I mean, if I can use that term. But what I mean by that is, is the time in which we live. And the Old Testament saints did not in, enjoy that kind of relationship. Now, I'm going to give you a few. We're going to look at a few examples in the Old Testament where that the father, the kind of father-son relationship is mentioned. So if you would look at... Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Verse 22. This is Moses speaking to Pharaoh. Exodus 4 verse 22. It says this. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel, this is God speaking now, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. But here's the thing I want you to see about that. So what I'm trying to show you is there are instances in which this father-son relationship is seen in the Old Testament, but it's different because this is a reference to Israel corporately as a nation and the, the relationship that God was having with Israel as their God and to, to show the character of His care for them. And the way God dealt with the nation of Israel. Of course, many times in the Old Testament, God doesn't speak to individuals like that. He speaks to Israel as a nation, corporately. But what you have in the New Testament is not that. It is not corporate. It's individual. It's individual. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, if you would. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says this, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Now we know this is from Hebrews, this is also quoted in Hebrews chapter 12, right? 
For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Again, father, son. But this is used as a simile. In other words, it's a comparison. Even as a, God is not making a statement as to their actual relationship. He's only demonstrating that God corrects Israel. God correct, uh, corrected the erring one in the same way that a father would correct a son. Now, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, we're not going to go there for time. If you go to Hebrews 12, this verse is quoted, but then it's taken an extra step. Because from this, this verse is quoted because the truth is there. But then in Hebrews 12, it goes an extra step because in Hebrews 12, they, they, they are addressing people who are actually sons of God individually. And so it says, that's when it says, if, if, uh, if you don't have chastisement, you're not a son. That's Hebrews chapter 12. So it goes a step further because that relationship is actual in Hebrews 12. Whereas here, it's just a comparison. Look at one more. Look at Isaiah Chapter 63. Isaiah 63 and verse number 16. Isaiah 63 verse 16 says this. Doubtless, Israel speaking to God now, doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. Thou, O Lord, that's the covenant name of God. Notice he does not say, O Father, even though that's in the context. He says, Lord, which is the covenant name with Israel. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. Again, not... An honest look at this says, this is not a statement of some doctrinal truth about their relationship, but this is, a, this is to show the character of God to Israel. Because God has the character of a father to them. He's kind. He corrects them and those kinds of things. And so in these verses, what you have is you have a, a reference to the corporate relationship of Israel with God, not individual. You have comparisons, and you have comparisons that are that are intended to demonstrate the character of, of the relationship God had to Israel, but not the actual relationship. You understand? Like, for instance, if if uh, if you had if you knew a kid was falling on hard times, and you you took them into your house, you are not their father or mother because you brought them into your house. But they might say, you know, you've been like a father to me. That doesn't mean you have an actual relationship as such. That means the character of the relationship is similar. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, but there's a difference in an act. You have an actual relationship to God as a father and a son or daughter. That's awesome. That's huge. Yoge. Yoge. And, and when you read in the Old Testament, you see that, that the language used that is consistent with this fact. They, they, were, they don't refer to God as Father, except in these few outliers that are, that are describing the character of their relationship. But you don't see people addressing God as Father. You see, oh Lord, oh God, and a bunch of the, you know, thou art our rock and all these different things you find in the Old Testament. Not even David, not even Moses. Because the relationship as father, son, or daughter, as the case may be, is something that God established new for the church. Some people that bothers. I'll just be honest. Some people it bothers. The fact that God does things different for different people in different times. I'm sorry. 
That's the way it is. That's just the way it is. And but but some but and the, the problem people get bogged down theologically, they get bogged down because they look at everything that's in the Old Testament and then also everything in the New Testament, and they want to take everything in the Old Testament and force it into the New Testament paradigm. And then they want to take everything in the New Testament and retroactively force it into the Old Testament, but you can't do that. What did Jesus say about John the Baptist, who was the last Old Testament prophet? He said, he said, new wine needs to be put in what? New bottles. You can't put, you can't put new wine in old bottles. It needs new bottles. In other words, and in the context, if you read it, you will see that Jesus is referring to that transition from the Old Testament time to the New Testament time. That shouldn't bother anybody. You can benefit, just like Romans says, you can benefit from every text of Scripture. That through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, you might have hope. But not everything is directly about you and me, <laughs> right? So the, the difference is, is when we read the Bible, we need to read the context and know what is being said. And when you pick up on language, and I'm sure you guys, if you've read your Bible, you read it on a regular basis, you read it every day, you start to, you say, you, you probably pick up on this, the language and the way they're talking is different than what I'm familiar with. And the reason it's different is because it's different. <laughs> so this is one example of that. Look at John chapter 8, if you would. Verse 41, this contentious conversation the Lord has with the Jews that have supposedly believed on him. It actually, the text actually says they have believed on him, but they did not believe on him in the way that we're thinking they believed on him. Verse 41, uh, John 8, verse 41. Look at what Jesus says to the Jews. Now, remember, these Jews are not friends of Jesus. They're not disciples. He says, ye do the deeds... Oh, hold on before we go there. Verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So the first, at the first mention, they say, We're Abraham's children. That was always the go-to boast of the Jews. All right? They thought they were right with God because they were in the, the physical lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So they first claimed that Abraham is their father, which is there's truth in that. Verse 41, Ye do the deeds of your father, ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We, we be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. So here they're saying, no. See, they, they, it's, it's kind of this, you know, uh, playground mentality, tit for tat kind of thing. You know, Jesus says, but they say, well, Abraham's our father. He say, you're not like Abraham. That Well, God's our father then. And Jesus says, no, he ain't. <laughs> no, he ain't. He said this, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Of course, we know the Jews were unbelievers, so in no case would they be God's children. But it's interesting that this is brought up and Jesus just flatly disclaims it and says, God is not your father. God is not your father. Now, so then maybe we should be careful 
No, maybe we should just eject from our vocabulary this idea of the fatherhood of God and God is the father of everybody because that is flatly not scriptural. Now, the people we see walking down the street, we see in uh, Winn-Dixie that doesn't exist anymore, but that we see in the grocery store or whatever, where do you like to go? I know, I know the, the Aguilars like to go to uh, Harris Teeter. We saw them there. They're all high fluting, you know. But they, found, they saw us there, so I guess that makes us the same way, right? No, but when we see people around, they're not the children of God. They're not, God's not their father. He has no, if he was their father, he would treat them differently than he does. They're his creatures. They're his creatures. A relationship between a father and a son or daughter is a special, precious relationship. Not everyone enjoys that. And in fact, that, let me give you an example. I've used this example with our kids in Bible time. So consider my neighborhood, right? I live in my neighborhood with my family, with my wife, with my children. Now, I have a relationship with the people that live around me, right? And I have a relationship with the people that don't live in my neighborhood, right? I have a relationship with the people that live in Cambodia to some degree or another. To the people that are in my neighborhood and the kids that play in my neighborhood, they're not my children. And as such, I don't treat them as my children both in good ways and bad ways. They don't enjoy the privileges nor the requirements, right? Now, do I have a relationship with the neighbor's kids? Yes, I'm their neighbor. They come over to my house like we had uh, the, 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 the little fellow that lived, used to live beside us. He don't live there anymore, Cameron. He's come to church and he's eating at our house and that kind of thing. So we had a relationship and we were kind to him and good to him like God is to all of his creatures in the same similar way. But he was not my son. That's different. And that's what I'm trying to describe here. When Jesus Christ came into this world, the first way he referred to God was his father. And he introduced a new relationship. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, if you would. This is a new relationship that human beings had not enjoyed previous. This is a new, special, exalted relationship that human beings had not enjoyed before that time. Jesus introduced it because he was the only begotten Son of God. Ephesians 1 verse 5, listen to this. Verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Listen to this. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That means that God planned to adopt us as his children. That's something he had been planning since forever. Predestinated unto the adoption of children. That's the special relationship that God planned. Look at another passage, if you would. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 15. Says this, <clears throat> where ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Notice the spirit of adoption, referring to the Holy Spirit. And it says, whereby, or you could say in our modern language, we would say, by which we cry, Abba, Father. So the basis of our relationship to God as our Father is because of the Spirit of God. The reason you are a child of God is because of the Spirit of God who is in you. You have been brought into God's family, adopted into God's family, and the evidence and the proof of that, the Zach seal of that, right? We talked about that in our discipleship. Is the Spirit of, is the Spirit of God. It's to mark you are a child of God because this. What's that? Yes. And so the Spirit of God is what leads us to, to, to cry out to God like a, like a child would. Abba, which means Father. Abba, Father. All right, look at another one. Look at Galatians chapter 4, if you would. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5 it says this <clears throat> To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because, listen to the language, because ye are sons, God hath sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So we have the same relationship. This is what the verse says. Because of the Spirit of God and God adopting us, we have, a, we have a same or you might say very similar relationship to the Father as Jesus Christ had himself because it's the Spirit of his Son. That's Jesus. This is why we call God Father, and this is why God responds to us as a father. And we can call God Father all day long, but that doesn't mean He's, he's our Father unless we are His children, <laughs> right? These kids can come into, my, come into my house, and they can eat my food, and they can call me Daddy all they want. But that don't mean, Daddy see, that, don't mean that I see them as my, my children. These six kids right here are my children, right? Look at Mark 14, if you would. Just got a couple more places to look at, and we'll be finished. Mark 14. In verse 36, our Lord, once again, praying. Remember I told you, the only time Jesus prayed and addressed God as God was when he cried out from the cross. Mark 14, and it's no surprise, in verse number 36, the beginning of his prayer, notice what he says. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but wilt thou wilt. So what the Spirit of God in us, establishing that special relationship as a child of God, and God is our Father, He causes us to cry the same words as Jesus Himself cried. It's amazing. Look at John chapter 1, if you would. Just bouncing around a little bit. We've got two more. John 1. And this goes to what I said at the beginning. In the Old Testament, this special relationship as children of God to the Father was not, did not exist. In John 1, this is further revealed. Verse 12. But as many as received Him, that's the word, Jesus Christ, to them gave He power 
power, authority to become the sons of God. You see that? Jesus gave us that place. Even to them that believe on his name. So by faith in Christ, we became children of God. One more, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. This one's, this one's perfectly clear. Galatians 3, verse 26. Says, says this. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That verse alone excludes everyone else from that special relationship that has not believed in Christ. God is not the father of everyone. He's the father of the, those that believe on, in Jesus Christ, trust in Him. Now, why does that matter? You have a very special and wonderful relationship to God that others in the Old Testament didn't enjoy, but you enjoy it. And that relationship involves a special place of prayer. God answers your prayer as a father to his children. He hears your prayer differently than everyone else's. Just like when someone asks me for something versus my children, the answer is different. Number two, when you do wrong, God will correct you as a father. Number three, there's a special place of intimacy with God because He is your Father. And number four, you have special security because you have a relationship with God as your Father and not just as a creature, creation. Let me tell you something. When God gave us this gift to adopt us into His family, and when the Lord pointed that out with His final saying, in contrast to the previous saying, God gave us a, an enormous gift that has so many facets that affect our relationship to Him. And it's upon that basis that we, we interact with God and we call Him our Father. Let's pray.